Good morning. I do like a bit of Ben Fogel's New Lives in the Wild. Do you like a bit of Ben Fogel? I can't remember what night it's on, but it's exciting. He goes and visits these people who've jacked in the rat race and they've gone and set up home somewhere remote. And it looks quite glamorous, actually, uh, with the, the film, the, the camera's rolling. And uh, it's only when he has kind of one-to-ones with them that he finds actually it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard. And um, I do notice, however, that quite often they've got a pickup truck that they go pop down to town to get provisions once in a while. It's not that hard. When the Bible talks about wilderness, it's talking about something far more extreme than what we see in Ben Fogel's New Lives in the Wild. It's talking about a place that is barren a place that is inhospitable, a place that is uncultivated, a place where you can only stay for a short period of time, and then you have to leave and go home. Our series is called Worship in the Wilderness, and today we're going to be looking at three wilderness journeys. The journey of the children of Israel, that's Jacob's sons, for those of you who know your Andrew Lloyd Webber. Then we're going to look at Jesus in the wilderness, and then we're going to look at ourselves. And Caroline is going to help us with that last piece as well. Henry Ford, you know Henry Ford? The guy that led the mass production of the motor car. He's famous for saying two things. One is you can have my car in any color as long as it's black. And the other thing he said is history is bunk. He actually said history is more or less bunk, just to quote him properly. Now, um, Henry Ford had this gung-ho approach to life. Don't concern yourself with the past, live in the present. And his assertion, although he did qualify it with more or less, but it's flawed on the basis of this. You can learn from history, and it can change and transform your life. History has the power to teach us if we are prepared to learn. But so often we as human beings aren't. I was uh, watching a a program on telly the other day. It was about a D-Day exhibition. And the curator of that exhibition was saying how some of the last remaining D-Day veterans had said to her, please, please, please keep our story alive. Otherwise, we'll forget and it might happen again. So as a race, we're pretty useless at learning from history, but I would say it has the power to teach us much if we're prepared to learn. It is totally possible today to follow Christ without intimate knowledge of the Old Testament. But I would say to you that the rich symbolism and the bigger picture of that whole story helps us ground our faith in real-world events, and it helps us more fully grasp God's plan for our redemption. Could we have our first slide, please? Deuteronomy recaps the history of the Israelites. They had spent 430 years as slaves in Egypt. And then under the leadership of Moses and the power of divine miracles, their escape is sealed by the most terrible of the 10 plagues, the death of the firstborn. And God gives his people these special instructions. Take a lamb, a male lamb, an unblemished male lamb. Don't break any of its bones, but sacrifice it. Seems like a bit of a weird thing to do. But do that. 
and with the blood put it on the lintel above your door, and I will pass over those houses when I come to kill the firstborn. It was a terrible thing to happen, but that's what the people of Israel did. Next slide, please. At the Passover, they did that. Pharaoh, and for all intents and purposes, he was Egypt with a capital E. You don't know your Andrew Lloyd Webber that well then. Um, Egypt, or Pharaoh, who was basically Egypt, said, go, leave, straight away, get out. And with that, 600,000 men over the age of 20 plus, everyone else left Egypt that night. And they went out to where God, towards where God had called them, towards the promised land. That was the beginning of their journey. Sadly, it didn't quite work out as planned. Why? Because they kept on depending on themselves. Can we have the next slide? They kept on depending on themselves, despite God providing miraculously for them in a barren place with manna, with quails, with water, they rebelled. As they closed in on their destination, which was Canaan, they sent out 12 spies to go and check out the land. Ten of them returned with doom and gloom. There's no way we're going to take over that place. And as a result of that, the people got hold of this message and they rebelled too. We were better off back in Egypt. Although we were slaves, we were better off there. God had miraculously helped them escape, cross the Red Sea, had provided for their needs, and they had responded with that with unbelief, ingratitude, and rebellion. And as a consequence, God said, right, for every day that those spies were checking out the promised land, you're going to spend one year in this wilderness. You can check it out in Numbers 14. Forty years later, they reached the promised land. This was an 11-day journey from Egypt to Canaan, and it took them 40 years to get to a place. We didn't read it, but if you've got your Bible open in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 7, a land with springs and streams, wheat, barley, vines, figs, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, where bread won't be scarce and you will lack nothing. So that's the history. But let's unravel it a bit more. At what point were the people of Israel saved? At what point were they rescued? The point at which they left Egypt. But at what point did they enter the promised land? Forty years later. Nearly 100% of them who were adults when they left Egypt did not get to the promised land. They spent their whole lives in this wilderness. Only two People who left Egypt as adults actually entered the promised land. Caleb and Joshua. Why? The Bible describes they were wholeheartedly for God. Everyone else did not reach the promised land. It begs the question, doesn't it? Why did God lead them and keep them in such an inhospitable and uninhabitable place for all those years? Have a look in verse 2. You've got your Bibles open in front of you. It explains, to humble them and test them in order to know their heart, whether or not they would keep his commands. In other words, would they respond with dependency and obedience? 
You see, time and time again, they pushed for independence from God. If you have a look, we didn't actually have the verses read to us, but look at verse 12. It says this, Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied. In other words, when life is easy. Then it says in verse 14, Then your heart will become proud. You'll forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God put them in a place where they had to learn total dependence on him. Verse 16, it says this, to humble you and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. They were in a wilderness. There was no food, there was no water, yet God provided for them every day just enough. You see, dependency on God is the reality of being the created rather than the creator. But it wasn't just physical sustenance that God gave them in the wilderness. He also led them. The Spirit of God led them. In their case, it was a cloud of fire by day and a, during the day and a fire at night. They had a truly Spirit-led journey. In essence, God was saying to them, look, I know this journey is not going to be easy, physically, emotionally, or mentally, but if you trust me, if you depend on me, if you follow me, then your light and momentary troubles, remember Sean read this verse to us two weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 4.17, your light and momentary troubles will be ended by a glory that outweighs them all. This was just the journey for the Israelites. This was not their destination. But you know, you can't get to a destination without a journey. So we've seen this people who were not dependent on God, that God said, you've got to be dependent on me. And now we're going to look at someone who was totally dependent on God. Let's forward the clock to Mark chapter 1 and the famous story of Jesus' baptism by John. And as he comes up out of the water, the heavens open and a voice is heard, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. I love that expression, well pleased. The same spirit that commends him then leads him into this desolate place. A physical wilderness. There is no food and there's no water. And Matthew's gospel I love it. It says, he was led into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, wait for it, and he was hungry. Yeah. And God allowed Jesus to be tested, whereas the devil was out to tempt him. So the devil tempted him to meet his physical needs. Hey, you're hungry? Yep. Why don't you turn this stone into bread? Jesus' response was this. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. Life is more than physical satisfaction. It is about trusting and dependency on God. Clearly symbolic to the events we've just looked at in Deuteronomy. But whereas the people of Israel failed time and time again because their dependence was on themselves, Jesus passed the test because out of his own free will, his dependence was on God. 
Could he have turned stone into bread? Yes. Did he? No. Why not? Because he was dependent on God. Could he have thrown himself from the top of the temple and survived? Yes. I believe he could. Did he? No. Why not? Because his dependency was on God. Could he have had all those nations worship him? Yes. Did he? No. Because he was dependent on God. In an environment that was physically, emotionally, and mentally challenging, he trusted God. He was led by and inspired by God's Spirit. And that came from a knowing and a trusting of his Father. But this is the key point I want you to remember. Although we're looking at 40 days of Jesus' life, he was just as dependent on God for the rest of his life. It wasn't just the physical pressure of a difficult environment, i.e. the wilderness, where Jesus depended on God. There were plenty of other times in Jesus' life when he was surrounded by friends, when he had plenty of food. And at those times, he depended on God just as much as in the wilderness. We're going to move on to our third and final part now, when we look at us in the wilderness. We look at the Israelites' timeline I want to use it as an analogy for us as followers of Jesus. Do you notice any similarities? Yes, is the answer. Why? Because the people of Israel weren't chosen because they were special. They were chosen because they were typical. So is it any wonder that we see our lives very similar and echoing the story of the people of Israel? The blood of the lamb, the unblemished lamb, Jesus' death on the cross has rescued us, but we're not home yet. We too, we're on a journey with a destination. Some of us are going to reach it before others. I was out running last week, and as I ran through Moncton Church um, graveyard, an epitaph caught my eye as I, I must have been running quite slowly, actually, if I could read it. (laughs) As I was resting, and it said uh, three words on it. It said, home at last. Home at last. This is not it. This is not it. The Israelites, they had manna, quails, water. That wasn't their home. They were on a journey. We have friends. We have money. We have cars. We have houses. This is not it. This is not our home. This is not it. If I was in a Pentecostal church and I said that, you'd go, Amen! This is not it. So here's a question. When exactly should we describe ourselves as being in a wilderness? You see, for the Israelites, it was the moment from leaving Egypt to reaching the promised land. Often we, as Christians, we use the term the wilderness to mean periods of our life that are difficult, are challenging, where we're going maybe through mental or physical illness or bereavement or we've lost our job or we haven't got friends. And we call that our wilderness. But the Israelites, it was this period between being rescued and getting home. It doesn't really matter what your interpretation of it is. It's an analogy. But here's another analogy which I think you'll find useful. It's an analogy for next, from next week. Who's running the bath half? Matt, oh gosh, loads of you. Good on you. Right, I've done the bath half loads of times. 
Let me tell you, it's all hard, all right? But I tell you, when you're running uphill through Queen Square, and there's thousands of people there, and there's bands blasting out music, it's actually quite easy. But when you're out at Newbridge, and you're coming back along the Lower Bristol Road, and there's no one there, and you're on your first lap of two, it is blinking hard. You see, the whole thing is hard, but there are moments in it which are easier, and there are moments in it that are more difficult. What is our wilderness? Well, whatever analogy you use, what matters is this. When we are journeying through life, which we all are, with its inevitable ups and downs, God designs us to be led by his Spirit to depend on him as exemplified by Jesus. So rather than constantly striving for greater independence from our Heavenly Father by putting our trust in health and in wealth and in love and acceptance from others, we should follow Jesus' example. So that way, when the difficult times in the wilderness happen, storms or famines we lose our health, we lose our wealth, as inevitably they, they happen. Our foundations, trust and dependence on our Father, will grant us a peace and an understanding that actually baffles us, transcends our human understanding. Whatever happens, whatever our wilderness is, whatever troubles we face, we will trust the Lord as we journey, and until we finally get home. As a family, we have been incredibly blessed. But we've also encountered a number of difficult times as well as easy times. And uh, I've asked Caroline, my wife, to come and share some thoughts about how she depends on God at times like this. Thank you. Yes, some of you will know uh, a lot about the journey that we've been on, and some of you will know very little but we have been through some incredibly difficult times over the last few years. And uh, as I was thinking about this, I know that I've said some of these things before, but I really want to echo some of the things that Matt has been sharing from this passage. Because you see, whether a time for me is a wilderness isn't necessarily about the circumstances that I'm going through, or, although obviously uh, there are times when it is tougher than others, but often, it's about where my focus is and whether I'm actually depending on God in that time. So there have been times in my life when I can really sense or feel, yeah, that was a real wilderness. Maybe when the children were little or when my health wasn't great, but it wasn't dire. And I felt, this is really tough. God, where are you? And there have been times in our life when we've been literally thrown onto God. We've not been able to do anything. When our little boy, our youngest, um, was seriously ill several years back, we didn't know if he was going to live or not, and we were thrown onto God. We had to choose whether we just ditched everything we believed or we trusted and we depended on God. And we chose then to depend on God. And what I want to share with you is that in those times when we've made that choice, we have seen amazing things happen. Now, 
I've said this before, and some of you will have heard this the last time I talked after Toby was poorly. But for me, that time when Toby was ill was a sense of heaven meeting earth. Because we were living at that particular point in our lives the way that God designed us to live, in true, total dependence on him. I went from worrying about which fireplace to put in my TV room to, will my little boy live within a matter of days? And life just changed for us. But the things that we saw and the way that we saw God at work in our lives at that time were truly incredible. When he was in hospital um, having an operation and a very young French porter who didn't speak English wheeled him off, we hoped to the right surgeon to have the right operation. And seven hours later, he was returned to us. Matt and I had the most incredible sense of peace. And those of you who know me will know that that was not natural. It didn't come from me. But we were dependent on God and he gave us that peace that passes all understanding. And last year, through uh, the time that I had with my cancer, I saw God at work in so many ways. And they have caused me to make some decisions about the way that I am going to live during those times. But the challenge is to live like that every day. Because you see, I think that I am so like the Israelites. It doesn't matter how many incredible things God has done in my life. It doesn't matter how much I've seen his faithfulness at work. I still have times when I depend on myself and I just grumble and I moan and I forget what he's done. And so I'm determined to change that. And I just want very quickly to outline some of the ways that I set my day up when things are tough. We're not out of the rough, so this is very real to me right now, and this is what I'm doing daily at the moment, and I did it throughout uh, the difficult times last year. First of all, I make a time for God. I guard that time each day when I meet with him, and when I look at what the Bible says. Woe betide any member of my family who turns over my little calendar I've got with a verse on it in the kitchen before me because I really look forward to seeing how God's going to speak to me. And I guard that time, and it's very precious. The first thing I do is I put on the armor of God. A lot of you will know that passage from Ephesians about the armor of God. But that sets me up for the day, because as I put on that helmet of salvation, I know what God has done for me through Jesus. And I guard my mind by reminding myself of that. I put on my breastplate of righteousness, I know who I am in him, and I know what he thinks of me, and I know that I've been made right with him, and I guard my heart. And then I put on the the belt of truth, reminding me that this is true, and I can trust it. And then I take up my shield of faith, because the devil does not want me to depend on God. And he fires lies at me, and he tries to convince me that I'm wrong, and that I'm useless, and that I'm a failure. So I put my, my shield up to defend myself against that. And how do I do that? With the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And to do that, you have to know the Word of God. So I try to teach myself His Word so that I can use His promises to rely on in those difficult times. And then I put on my shoes with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And I say, okay, God, how are you going to use me today? How are you going to use me to speak of you and to bring glory to your name through this situation? And then I'm ready to go. 
And then the next thing I do is that I declare that Jesus is Lord. Lord over my health, Lord over my family, Lord over my life. And I remind myself right there at the start of that day that I'm choosing to trust him and to submit to him. It doesn't make it any easier. Some of the pain that we've been through has been unbearable and I've wanted God just to take it away. It's been really tough. But it is also so exciting to see God at work. And then I I use worship. We have worship playing a lot in our house. We have it in the car. I have it wherever I go. And I love to just have those words playing over us as much as we can. There's a little bit of a fight in our house between uh, UCB radio and KISS FM. And it gets switched between the two an awful lot. But I try to keep that on as much as I can. When I was in hospital and I was frightened um, or I couldn't sleep or I was having bad dreams, then I discovered that UCB2... Um, plays worship music all night and I could put my headphones in. If I was any good at Spotify, I'd have just used that, but I can't work it. So UCB2 radio was on all night and I could just have that worship music playing over me. It's not a formula. You'll have your own ways of connecting with God. But the challenge to us is not to just do that when we're forced to. Not to wait till we're in those situations when we're like, okay, God, I can't do anything here. I'm out of control. Okay, I'll trust you. But to do it on a daily basis, because then we'll see him move on a daily basis in our lives in the way that Jesus did. And that's what I want for my life. And while we're using that analogy of the bath half, just to finish, I just want to say and use this opportunity to say a massive thank you to all of you. Because it's true, when there are crowds cheering you on, when you are surrounded by the love of an amazing family, when there are people helping you practically, and when you know that people are lifting you up and praying, at those times when you can't do it yourself, it makes an enormous, enormous difference. So let's just do that more and more for each other because we have just been so blessed and are so grateful for the loving support that we've had from everyone here. I wonder where you are on that half marathon course. You're at Queen's Square, or are you out at Newbridge, or somewhere in between? As Caroline was saying, it doesn't matter where we are on that course. What matters is that we depend on God. Abby and the band are going to play to us, uh, sing to us a song, um, listen to the lyrics, uh, because it's basically saying, wherever we are, whatever the situation, It is good with me. It is well with my soul because we can depend on God. If you're in a difficult place now and you want someone to pray with you, we've got some people who love to pray with others. They'll be over here in the Wordsworth Chapel. If you've come with someone uh, that you're happy to pray with, just pray with them uh, where you're sitting. That's cool, whatever. But respond. If you are in a good place, prepare. If you're in a difficult place, receive know that God is faithful and it will be well with our souls. Whatever happens, whatever happens next, that's the wonderful thing about following Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens next, really. We're on a journey towards our destination.